Fair play and fair value. It's what playing at William Hill is all about. William Hill. It's who you play with. Gamble responsibly. This is Azra Begovic, and you're listening to the brand new Ranks of Seaport. Hello and welcome to Ranks FC, your new favourite football podcast, the old BR Football Ranks in its new independent format. My name is Jack Collins and I'm joined as ever by the rank god, Mr. Sam Ty. Hello, mate. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Thank you, mate. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm happy. This is the first full, full new episode of the new era and therefore I am excited. I know, and, and you're back to doing exactly what you do best, which is ranking in your room, uh, which is obviously a, a really, really key element of, of how this entire operation works. And of course, it's our transfer guru, Mr. Dean Jones. How are you, my friend? Hello, mate. I'm very good, actually. Those owls finally fledged. Um, so that's that was good news. Very exciting this week, um, watching that on, on the Facebook stream. Um, <laughs> I, think, I think I'm going to move on now from my bird's nest days because I just don't have any time now that we're running this independent pod. Yeah, I was going to say for any new listeners, Dean, it was a keen owl watcher for a while during our RBL football ranks days. But we're we're hoping he does put these put these uh, things behind him. Now we're moving into a new era. And for those of you joining us for the first time, welcome. This is Ranks FC, and it is going to be a podcast where we put football back in the correct order. And for those of you who have come across from BR Football Ranks, thank you so much. We hugely appreciate you jumping across with us and sticking with us as we move into a new chapter. Um, and, and in that new chapter, hot takes are kind of binned off. But what's back is things we loved. And Sam, you're going to start us off this week. Yeah, so it used to be just Jack got to say what he loved, but we've all decided that we're all really happy with a new era. And so we're all going to talk about things we loved. And uh, I'm going to kick us off with... Pep Guardiola's use of João Cancelo at the weekend, which is something we weren't able to get to on our Monday drop on our Patreon postbox episode. Uh, but Ben Golly asked the question, what did you think of Pep's weird as hell setup? He described it against Arsenal with Cancelo in a kind of midfielder slash wing back role, which it took me about 20 minutes to get to grips with because his, his role basically changed depending on if City had the ball or not. So off the ball, he settled into a right wing back slot. So Carl Walker played in the channel as the right centre back, basically where he played for England um, and City the week before as well. And then on the ball, Cancelo was able to just kind of run around and do what he wanted. He was a bit of a box-to-box midfielder. He was linking play with Mares. He was shuttling up and down and just kind of mediating the play. And I thought it was a really clever use of a really like genuinely good and like diverse player who can kind of play at different angles, go inside, go outside, can move up the flank, can drift inside. And the answer, Ben, is I absolutely loved it. And the reason I loved it is not just because Cancelo is good at that and not just because he got eight points on my fantasy team, but it's because this is Pep at his best. This is Pep setting players free and being creative. He's showing ingenuity. And he's taken a bit of a tough time, Pep, recently, haven't he? I mean, obviously, they dropped out of the Champions League again against Lyon in a game they weren't expected to. There were questions asked about him. There's been a bit of a slow start for City, for a lot of teams as well, not just City. But the pressure's been on. And what I love is that Pep continues to stay somewhat true to himself and go, well, I'll tell you what I've got in store next. I've got a 3-3-1-3 formation with a roaming wing back slash central midfielder. Stick that down your throat. I, I just love the fact that he's like, I don't care what you think of me. Like, I'm going to carry on doing this. And what I, I absolutely loved how he deployed Cancelo and brought him into the side after basically four games injured and just gave him a really important role. Uh, and he played really well in a win. Yeah, I mean, it was a little bit chilly under Bielsa, wasn't it? It was, it was a little bit of, of that system that they played at that World Cup and beyond. But it reminded me perhaps most of... Conrad Lima's use at Leipzig uh, last mm. year. Um, you, I thought that, you know, obviously Nagelsmann played him in that kind of sl- come midfield, come right wing back role. And, and that's where this kind of took me a little bit. But I actually thought that Cancelo is potentially the player in the world who who could pull this off best. And I, I wouldn't have said that before the game. You, you watch him and you actually think, oh, a lot of your traits are kind of built for this 
crossover role and it was it was a bit of a delight really wasn't it it was i had actually forgotten about the the lima experiment in the champions league even though we commentated on it on hot mic um and we were both sat there going what the hell is this um but yeah this one felt more more natural more normal uh and that's that's not not criticism of nagelsmann because what he did that night really worked out but Cancelo, yeah it just felt felt right it felt like all of his attributes suited that sort of hybrid role perfectly yeah absolutely i mean dean city were you know quite enjoyable and quite controlled i thought in a, in a court was uh, pitted as a tough game against arsenal and arsenal did have their moments you know and saka in particular was excellent for arsenal but on the whole city very much dominated and controlled a game that had been you know touted as a problem fixture obviously lost in the fa cup when these two teams last met and he lost to Mikel arteta apprentice beats master in, in this kind of stage but pep handled the situation really well yeah i mean it was a huge bonus to have aguero back in there i think that even when he's not scoring goals he just brings that element of link up play that that is so important and Jesus just can't do it in the same way that Aguero can. And even Sterling, when he's pushed centrally, he can't do it either in, in the same way that Aguero can. Um, I tweeted actually just as they were kicking off that it's unbelievable that we were entering a time when Aguero was starting a game for Man City and only about less than 2% of people had him in their fantasy teams because he just wasn't expected to be out there and he caught everybody out. Um, he was on my bench. Things. He was third on my bench, mate. Oh, no, you're In kidding. my draft team. Like, oh. I, I just didn't... No one saw that coming. No, exactly. But now, you know, now we know he's back, it's going to change everything. And it, it does certainly um, give City a massive pick-me-up. I mean, from an Arsenal point of view, got to be worried about this record against like top five rivals. It's it really has become a major flaw in, in what they're trying to build. And the mentality has got to be affected. It's, it's 29 league games now, I think, since they beat one of their um, top five rivals. 10 points from 87, I read. Um, that they've taken from those fixtures. And that that's shocking. That's unbelievable. It's not um, all under Arteta, though, is it? No, but even under Arteta, it hasn't, you know, still hasn't been able to break it. Um, I think that's what's not worrying, but, you know, just that's one of the only things really that hasn't probably improved much. Um, but, yeah, from an Arsenal point of view, they definitely had chances to to get something out of that game. But Man City, yeah, there was there's a lot of elements to take from it that were positive. It's a lack of creativity from Arsenal's perspective. I think that's the that's the, the the number one concern right now is that they don't really create that many chances, or if they do, they create them in really specific ways. It's like very very heavily patterned play, which is exactly what we expect from someone like Arteta, who cut his teeth under someone like Guardiola. Uh, there just probably needs to be a little bit more, uh, yeah, ingenuity in there. And I think Thomas Partey's gradual int- introduction will really really help that, and he's clearly a move towards that. But for now, yeah, Arsenal can only break teams down in one way. And if you know how to stop that one way, they don't score. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, that one way is Aubameyang scoring unbelievable <laughs> goals and it's very difficult to stop. So luckily for Arsenal, they, they always have that in the tank. Dean, what did you love this weekend? I keep forgetting how much I love Kylian Mbappe. Um, and I watched a PSG on Friday night against Nîmes and he scored twice. It's just ridiculous. It's just absolutely ridiculous. And every time I do watch him, he looks more and more like Thierry Henry to me. Like his, the traits that he's displaying are just unreal. His pace, his cleverness, his creativity, his poise, the way he finishes things. There was one where he rounded the keeper and gave him the eyes and it was just unreal. It was so good to see that he's just got playing with such freedom and enjoyment and I think you know 2021 is basically going to be Mbappe's year because to go to the Euros France will probably win it he'll probably be the star of the tournament if you were to guess now like it's pretty pretty good prediction but on top of that he's got the decision to make over his club future and it's very likely that he leaves PSG um, and he's got to pick his next club. Real Madrid is looking like the most likely place he'll end up. Obviously, they wanted him when he joined PSG, but he decided not to make that move at that time. He decided to take a different path to where he wants to be and thought that staying in Liga with the biggest team there and trying to developing that way as, along with Neymar would be a good route to go. And I think it has been a very smart choice, to be honest with you. But now it is time to, to go abroad and kind of see what comes next. Liverpool have been linked. I'm sure there will be links with... Um, Barcelona and Man City as well but 
I'm told that Madrid are beginning to put together that package now for Mbappe. And it's not just about the money. It's about what they can bring to him in the next five to 10 years, because he is going to be the best player in the world. You know, as long as he doesn't get injured, he's going to get there. And why, why is Real Madrid the place for him? You look at them in the first few games of this season, you say, I don't know, why is this the place where Kylian Mbappe should be playing? Because this isn't very good. I think Courtois is probably their player of the season so far. But he is that absolute Galactico signing that, that the fans there thrive on. Um, I personally think that that's where he'll end up. I think he probably would have ended up there this summer if we weren't in COVID times. I'm told they've got the money there set aside. There's basically a Kylian Mbappe fund <laughs> that's ready to get him. But of course, <laughs> they're also being linked with Erling Haaland as well, of course. But I think that Mbappe will be the focus. And yeah, I just really wanted to say that make sure you watch Mbappe, just any opportunity you get, because sometimes I do see that PSG are playing and I'm like, yeah, can't really be bothered. They'll win like four or five nil. But you start watching it and that man is just an absolute superstar. I like the idea of a Mbappe pot set aside. It's similar to how I've got one for my the PS5, um, except <laughs> I, I think that maybe the one that for Mbappe maybe has a bit more money in. I don't know, mate. You know, <laughs> depends how this looks, doesn't it? No, I, I think you know you're absolutely right. It's he is just one of those players that lights up every stage, and and I think it feels like Real Madrid seems like the place for him. I, I don't know if that's just nostalgia kicking in and thinking about, you know, the way that Real Madrid used to go about their business back when I was a child and they were signing, you know, the biggest players in the world. But it feels like there is a space here for them that they haven't massively signed a Galactico signing, you know, Eden Hazard perhaps aside, who hasn't mm. featured and hasn't, you know, stepped up to that mark because of the injuries since Cristiano almost, or since Gareth Bale at least, you know, who hasn't come in and, and really kind of set the place on fire. And I think that they're probably in need of that. Uh, and I think that given how strange this attack has been and strange this season has been for Real Madrid, and I'm sure it will shake out. And I'm sure that they will start to find a groove and find some rhythm. But it feels like they're kind of in this limbo place where they're waiting for their next big signing to come and, and make a difference. And it feels like it's been that maybe since Cristiano left. And it was, you know, they're waiting for someone to come in and take the mantle on and no one has done it. And Hazard was supposed to come in and, and be this kind of fresh air. But I, I don't even think that that's what Eden Hazard would have done, even if he was fit. You know, I, I think he would have been excellent. And I think he would have been, you know, a, a creative force for Real Madrid. But I don't think he would have lit the place up in the way that I think a Kylian Mbappe will. And it feels like it's almost just waiting for him and has been waiting for him for ages. They changed their strategy, didn't they? I mean, they decided to move away from Galacticos for a while. They wanted to go and maybe take 17, 18, 19-year-olds, the best in the country, the best in the world, and try and develop them. They took Asensio, they took Rodrigo, they took Vinicius, Odegaard. They, 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 like, they clearly moved away from the Galactico policy. And then last summer went, oh, we need a Galactico. And then obviously this summer probably would, as Dean says, probably would have tried to sign Mbappe had it not been for the coronavirus pandemic. So they're, they're obviously, they've, they've changed their mind. Uh, and that's fine because like you, Jack, I've got this something in my brain is a nostalgic element, which is like Real Madrid should be signing the best players in the world. And Dean, you say he looks more and more like Henri and I agree with you, but like there are some things that he does that make me think of the original Ronaldo. Mm -hmm. And then I just picture original Ronaldo in the Siemens white kit and then I look at Mbappe and I think, I like that fit. Yeah, that's a good shout. Yeah, I think it's also worth remembering that, you know, probably part, quite a heavy part of the reason Mbappe didn't go Madrid last time is because he didn't want to go straight in to fill the boots of Ronaldo, Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, and now that time has passed and like, you know, Ronaldo's, they, the fans have had time to get used to the fact that, okay, you can't just play, replace Cristiano Ronaldo and nobody's been able to step up like he was able to, well, Benzema has tried his best. Um, now is probably a good time. There's been a good gap. So I think that this would be a good time for Mbappe to make that leap. Yeah, no, absolutely agreed. There's... By the way, this is recorded before PSG Man United, just in case Mbappe scores like three own goals and has an absolute nightmare. <laughs> I think it's I think it's unlikely. Let's Still worth a watch, way. mate. Still worth a watch if he absolutely. does. Yeah, he, is, he is. Still Galactico quality with that kind of drama. Um, let's finish this off. Uh, and I'm going to go slightly niche as usual um but not too niche uh, i'm going to talk a little bit about someone who's a, a favorite of ours on this podcast danny parejo who's moved from valencia to i wouldn't say local rivals but semi-local rivals villarreal in the summer um caused a bit of a stir mostly because he 
had to give his own departing press conference and his son, as you know, listeners to the old show will know, asked him in his press conference why he was leaving Valencia and he broke down in tears after being club captain and, and being there for such a long time and then going across to join Villarreal. He then this weekend scored the winner for Villarreal against Valencia in the derby and it's just one of those moments where you're just going, he put in an absolute masterclass, 102 passes completed by one man alone in the centre of the park. And it's just a joy when you see someone being like, why have you done this? Why have you let go of me? I am still and still probably would be your best player. And here I am against you making you pay. And it was, I don't know, just kind of a little bit cathartic for me, I think, in the way that you, you know, I was quite upset by that transfer. And we were all upset by Valencia's business in the market this summer and the way that the club has been tossed about like a rag doll by its ownership. Um, but for someone to come back and be like, you're idiots. You're absolute morons. You let me go. I was your club captain, your kind of heartbeat. And this is what I can do. I just, you know, I, I got quite a lot of, of catharsis out of it. I was like, I really needed it. And I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure Danny Pareja needed it more. Um, in the process, he's, he's injured himself, got himself laid off for a couple of months. And obviously we wish him the speediest of recoveries as, as a, a friend of ours. But um, it is just one of those where I, I think he'd probably say it was worth it if, if it meant that he could, you know, have that moment and, you know, to, to just really be like, what were you doing? I am still here and I'm still a player. I think it's only, I read only a month. Maybe it was that 102nd pass. He just felt something in his hamstring just because he'd been passing and passing and passing through his former team. I know, score the winner and, and put together 102 passes against your former team that you left in those circumstances. My favourite thing of the whole weekend, really. It's just joyful, like joyous in terms of just how it looked, how it felt and everything about it was just very, very delightful. And I, what, and what I loved more it joyful? What was more joyful, that or Connor Cody's post-match interview oh, on Connor, Sky Sports? Connor Cody's post-match interview was very close to making my thing here. Um, and as was Zlatan scoring a brace in, in the derby, but we'll, we'll address that at, at a later time. Um, Cody's interview post-game yesterday where he didn't realise Max Kilman was man of the match, burst in, out laughing when he found out he was was like, no, 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 he deserves it, he deserves it, he deserves it. And then went on after Jamie Carragher pressed him to be like, would you like to join Liverpool? Uh, you know, now Virgil van Dijk is injured. And as a, a scouser himself, he was just like, no! He's like, can't believe you're doing this to me! I can't believe you're doing this to me on air! <laughs> like, it was just just excellent. And if you haven't you haven't watched it already, then make sure to go and check it out. It's all over Sky Sports Football's feeds. Um, but it, will, it really was nice. Um, but there's been far too much positivity in this first half. So, uh, <laughs> Dean, over to you. It's time for Melon of the Week. This week's Melon of the Week is, very predictably, Jordan Pickford. Oh, mate. Oh, dear. Ugh. Not Mitrovic. Um, no, not Mitrovic. I mean, in another week, Mitrovic for putting a penalty over the bar and giving away a penalty and getting me zero points in FPL. And then missing and then missing an absolute hat full of yeah. sitters. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, would have definitely got it as a wall, but... There is, well, actually, the, the only other person that came close to taking this award away from Pickford was his teammate Richarlison for an equally ridiculous challenge on Thiago. But Pickford, what he did to Van Dyke was bad. And I don't know if you saw, like, in, in slow-mo when you watch it, just as he's about to connect, you look at Van Dyke's face and he knows that as he's about to get clattered, like, this is going to be bad. And see that just split second of Van Dyke's realisation that Pickford's actually doing this, basically committing an assault on him. And it's just like, oh man, what are you doing? Like, I don't think he's deliberately hurt him. I just think that Pickford is, has this tendency to just be quite rash and just make... <laughs> Yeah, there's no, not, I, don't think it's, I don't think it's malicious. It's I just think malicious. it's a really it's bad challenge. Dumb. It's just dumb. Yeah. Um, and I just I do feel really sorry for Van Dijk. I mean, I think that some of the um, stuff that's coming out on the back of it is a bit over the top from Liverpool fans. But um, I'd actually like to raise a no counterpoint uh, to this. Yeah. Uh, I think there is a more melanish thing that's happened this week. And that is anybody and there's certain pundits on, on social media. There's actually quite a few of them saying that Pickford should be banned for as long as Van Dijk is out. Uh, this is the single worst take of 2020, right? No one was saying this when Son hurt Andre Gomez. 
you know, people weren't like, oh, Son should be banned for nine months. You know, people, you know, people haven't done this when Ben Thatcher, you know, elbowed Pedro Mendes. And that actually was assault. You know, one was like, you know, he needs to be out for an extended period. They were like, right, you, you serve your time and then you get on with it. You know, that, that's how that's how injuries work. Like, this yeah. is just because it's Virgil van Dijk and, you know, a, a player we hugely admire and, and wish the best in his recovery, it doesn't mean that suddenly the rules change and you have to, like, you have to be out for the same amount of time as him. It's just one of the most ridiculous statements I've ever heard. Yeah. I was at that Man United Crystal Palace game when Cantona Kung Fu kicked the fan. I was only a kid, but I was there. That deserves a long layoff. <laughs> That's when you're talking about proper assault and you're going to be spending like eight months in the, in the stands yourself. Not a bad but tackle. Not also, a bad tackle. Also, can, like... can, can, so you're saying Cantona should have been out for as long as that guy was in hospital? I don't think <laughs> he was in hospital for that long. The guy didn't even go. Yeah, so that, that wouldn't have worked out. Um, but yeah, I agree with you, Jack. That was that was a ridiculous take. There's a lot of melons out there this week, to be honest with you. There's just been a melonish week out there in the world. Yeah, lots of melons. Right, let's get on to our main ranking. And Sam, I know you're excited to get back into, into full ranking mode. And we're going to be looking at the best attacks in Europe. We left you off with a really easy one to begin with, eh? Um, across Europe this season. So we'll be right back after the break. Just a quick one from me, Rank Squad. If one episode a week just isn't cutting the mustard for you anymore, then why not come and join us at our Patreon, where we're releasing two extra episodes a week and a shiny new newsletter called The Torcida. Here's a little bit of what we're doing over there. For some reason, I was back defending a corner and it was the last minute of the game and we were winning. And as I've gone up for the header, I somehow won the header from the corner. I'm five foot seven, lads. Won the header, got it away. I've charged out of the box of everyone else to kind of get it up to the halfway line. Seconds ticking down. I just feel a whack in my back. I'm on the floor. Turns out somebody's kung fu kicked me. I'm on the floor. As I get up, he punches me straight in the face. This is an even better story than Jack Grealish becoming the next Paul Gascoigne. And Louise, you know, made his debut, his full debut anyway, in a 5-0 win against Bolivia for Brazil over the course of the international break. He played alongside Neymar, Coutinho, Casemiro, and he did not look out of place at all. He was slick and cool and composed. Casemiro had huge praise for him after the game. Apparently, he's like best buds with Neymar now. I'll go 3-0 Sociedad. <laughs> Just to wind me up. Betis lost 3-0 to Sociedad, as you predicted, Dean. As I predicted. That's why this podcast is going to be so good, because I've got such insight on these things. <laughs> Well, there's all that and a load more on our Monday Postbox episode and our Friday Spotlight, which highlights all the best games and players to watch over every weekend. Now, if you'd like to join us, head over to patreon.com forward slash ranks FC and you can sign up using the melon tier or the poet tier. We'd love you to join us on this next stage of our journey and get more and more involved in the community, adding questions, adding your thoughts, you're having a real dialogue with the three of us and, and pushing us in the direction that you want us to go. We'd love to have you on board. So if you fancy it, the link's in this description or patreon.com forward slash Ranks FC. Welcome back to Ranks FC, where it's time for our big ranking. I've missed saying that even though it's been just a week. Sam, chuck it to you. Let's go. Yeah, so we had a comment on Patreon actually asking about who the best defences were. And we acknowledged that question and decided to go and flip it on its head and create a ranking out of the best attackers. And the truth is that's solely because attackers are more fun, aren't they? Ultimately, they're just more fun to talk mm. about. Dean just spent five minutes talking about Kylian Mbappe um, and Real Madrid, and we talked about Real Madrid and Eden Hazard. It's just what we tend to end up talking about. It's the more exciting part of football. So we love the question and we sort of tweaked it a little bit. So thank you very much for that. Look, ranking the five best attacks in Europe is a really, really, really difficult thing to do. It's so difficult, and I know I always say that, but this is so difficult that I've got a top three, but I'm going to actually present three cases to you guys for, for, for spot number five and spot number four. So three cases for fifth and three cases for fourth. And you, I've decided that you guys have got to help me. This is the new regime. The chains are off. And I'm going to start asking more of you in the way that you ask lots of me. Yeah, so, okay, fine. But hang on. What happens here? Because if you've got three spots for fifth and then three spots for fourth, surely all three of the ones for fourth are better than the ones for fifth. Well, actually, we'll, so we'll get we'll do the fifth one and then we'll do four. Oh, yeah, and point. then if, if for example, there are two in, in, in the fourth spot that you think should clearly be fourth and fifth, then fine. But fine. I basically just tried to split it up a little bit for you. All right, let's do it. But the first set, we're going to start with 
Actually, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you the, the team that didn't make it, and it, it sort of ties into what Dean was talking about. Real Madrid were tenth in this list and haven't made the the short list, and it's because Hazard can't be trusted to stay on the pitch. Benzema is excellent, but what has he got on his on his left and his right at the moment? There's a bit, there's, there's a slight dearth of elite quality there, and that's obviously why they want to take Kylian Mbappe on. So Real Madrid are honourably excluded from this running, which is a shame. The the first contender for number five is Atalanta. I mean, part of me thinks, why the hell haven't you got this in the top five solid, Sam? Because 98 goals in Serie A last season, what, clearly one of the most explosive attacks in Europe. Alejandro Gomez, Zapata and Ilicic are amazing. You've got the wing-backs that come into play, Hatterborn and Robin Gosens, who steam forward and into the box and score and assist. They've even got Malinowski to, to, to rotate in and play as a number 10. And they've got Sam Lammers as well, who's coming off the bench and already has two goals this season. So... I mean, there's your first one. And that tells you how hard it is to get into this into this, into this ranking if Atalanta yeah. are a fringe fifth pick. But their rivals here for this spot are a very, very young Dortmund side, but a very exciting one. It's Sancho Haaland, Gio Reyna, Marco Royce, Julian Brandt, Torgan Hazard. They're so good. And the connection between Reyna and Haaland has been particularly excellent this season. It's really exciting. And we've got to talk about Barcelona as well. I mean, on paper, Christ, they've got the best player in the world. How are they not a lock for this? But Fatty is improving and is a prospect. But over the course of the season, I think we need to maybe just calm down a tiny bit. And Griezmann concerns me, guys. You know, he concerns me. And you look to their bench, what have they got? Dembele, a wonderful name on paper, but hasn't really been very effective because of injuries. Trincao, lots to prove. Pedri, 17 years of age. Braithwaite, more of a mascot. You know, it's 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 it's... <laughs> It's um, it's not actually as cut and dry as where Barca should be top five because they are in a bit of a, a bit of a lull. So I present my three cases for you as the fifth best attacking uh, unit of Atalanta, Barcelona, and Dortmund, and invite you to help me out. Obviously, I want to give it to Atalanta because Atalanta. Um, but I actually think the answer might be Dortmund. I think that this attack on its day is potentially the most devastating attack in, in Europe. I think that given the kind of quality it has and, and the kind of spearhead we've had, uh, I think it's a you know a genuine force or a force of nature at times. And and like you say, the way that everyone steams forward from midfield, even, you know, Jude Bellingham, who was signed as a kind of centre midfielder, been playing a little bit further forward in, in that 10 role at times, a little bit further back at other times and sort of steams forward and joins the attack and, and gets involved. And there seems to be kind of unlimited options that they have to, to rotate this side. And, and the fact that Torgan Hazard was such a key player last season for them, and this season seems to be much more of a moving part, uh, you know, who's kind of slotted in around other players to make things work. I'm just really, really like the depth that they have up top. And, and that makes me happy. I think where, where, you know, Atalanta fall down perhaps is that depth. And, and maybe the same could be said for Barcelona. You know, they, they, yes, they have talented players to bring off the bench. You said Malinowski there. Also kind of forgot that Alexi Marenchuk was, was kicking about in, in all of this. And uh, But there, there doesn't seem to be the same kind of every time Dortmund line up and no matter who it is on the pitch, I'm like, oh, wow, what a, what a front three. And, yeah. and I think that that's maybe where the others fall down. Maybe that's where they have the edge on the other two. Mm. Yeah, I think that that was kind of highlighted at the weekend, to be honest. I think um, they beat Hoffenheim 1-0, but they started with uh, Gio Reyna, Julian Brandt and, and Jaden Sancho. And they're like, oh, we need to change this. We need something to happen. It's 0-0, it's 0-0. So they brought on Haaland and Marco Royce and, and Royce ended up scoring the winner on 76 minutes. I and mean, that's, that's insane that you can bring those two on to, to help you change a game. Um, and I think, of course, you know, the way that they use their wing-backs as well to push forward and join in the attacks is... Is just so key to everything as well. It's a hell of a mini league there, Atalanta, Dortmund and Barcelona. You would expect us to just say Barcelona and I think most people would probably just give them the benefit of the doubt. But those days are gone and I'm going with Dortmund. All right. So it sounds like we're picking Dortmund for five, but obviously they're still on the hot seat because I've got three cases for number four as well. And you guys might well decide that two of these mm. are stronger. And so we'll put Dortmund there for now. And then we'll see what we think. And the reason I set it up this way is because obviously we all feel differently about these, these attacking units. And there might be, well, I think there might be a team in here that you guys just aren't as high on as I am. So your contenders for number four and then potentially number five, we'll start off with Juventus, who happened to have a certain Cristiano Ronaldo, one of the greatest players of all time, a goal scoring machine. He plays alongside Paolo Dybala 
And their connection last season was incredible. Dybala is a borderline elite player in, in his own right. And he and he and Ronaldo, they work so well together at times. They've added Kuliseski this season, who was an emerging excellent player. They've added Federico Chiesa, who we love as well. They've also added Alvaro Morata and Bernadeschi still kick it around as well. So you've got two or three players there that can play up front. You've got three or four players there that can play wide. You've got a series of really smart, explosive, athletic, and deadly players. It's a hell of a collect, uh, collection. Pirlo still doesn't quite know how this is figuring out and, and how this actually actually goes on onto the pitch rather than on paper. But you know what? I'm pretty scared of this team on paper. So uh, I'm going to leave this in here. Uh, we'll pit them against Tottenham, which is Son and Kane, the new deadliest duo in world football, which is just a remarkable connection. And we can add Bale to that as well. We've only seen 18 minutes of Bale. Uh, but we've also seen how he might play off Kane. Uh, unfortunately, he missed that chance against West Ham, but you've seen how that dynamic can work. In reserve, Lo Celso is, I think, brilliant. Bergvine are really rate. Less hot on Lucas Moura. Carlos Vinicius is okay. So they've got reasonable depth there. Probably what about is, Eric Lamella? Uh, did not qualify for <laughs> the discussion. And the third team I'd like to present for this one, this is maybe the wild card, is Inter Milan. And this is this is all about that Lukaku Lautaro connection, which is obviously fantastic. It's it's superbly balanced. Lukaku has been he has been so so good in Serie A or over the course of last season. He's just bullying defenses. Lautaro gets better and better, scores with finesse, scores with panache. Sometimes he just blocks the ball into the goal line because he's pressing so hard. There's so much to love about these two and 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 them as individuals. You've got Hakimi steaming forward at right wing back. You know I love him. You've got Parasic sometimes on the left. Alexis Sanchez is finding a new groove in Milan and he can rotate in. So there's a decent bit of depth here, but the, the dynamic between Lukaku and Lautaro is, is probably the strongest that I've listed so far. So those are your contenders. You've got Ronaldo spearheaded Juve. You've got Son, Kane and Bale combining for Spurs. Or you've got the two L's up front for Inter Milan with Hakimi powering forward. And guys, I don't know what you're going to do, but this is tough. Yeah. This is tough. Um, the all three of these potentially slot ahead of Dortmund for me. Actually, um, obviously mm. we could only pick two of them, which makes life quite difficult. Actually, <laughs> um, this Juventus side is unbelievable, and 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 not necessarily in has hasn't come to the fore yet. But the amount of talent in that in that front four, that front five, if you will, and the amount you know the the way you can rotate that, then it just gives them so many options. And and even if they are to go two up front, and we've seen quite a lot of that so far um, under Perlo, but you know there, there's just so many different things he can do here, and there's so many different shapes this attack can take. And I think that's potentially what elevates it for me. You know, highest is the fact that you can go to up top with, you know, well, you can go at a number of options, but we saw Kulisevsky and Ronaldo up there and it really was, you know, something that worked and that has what a Dybala behind it. And then where do you find a space for Chiesa and Morata's come back in and started scoring again, albeit from the spot? You know, it is one of those things where the way that this side can shapeshift is, I think, what makes them perhaps scariest. And, and for that reason, I think I'd maybe have them top of these this mini league. Um, but I don't want to ignore the fact that Spurs are on fire going forward. They might be a mess at the back, as we discussed on Monday, but they are on fire going forward. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you've, I picked, thought... you've picked the least established sort of set there, but the mo- probably the most talented on paper, which is where the kind of weighing up process happens. And I'd be very interested to see where Dean goes, because we might have a split here. Well, I think, yeah, if we're comparing attacks here so we're trying to find the best attacks in Europe and you've got to look at what Tottenham have done so far this season and the way they've kind of reshuffled the way that the attack works with with Kane's new role um, basically dropping off and just feeding these ridiculous passes over the top into the runners behind Um, and then obviously Son's just been in unbelievable form Bale's gonna be a great addition and they scored Three at the weekend, they got six goals at Old Trafford. They scored seven goals against Maccabi Haifa. They scored five goals at Southampton, who typically don't concede that many goals. It's ridiculous. The way they started this season in terms of an attack is actually ridiculous. So while, you know, I think my initial reaction was, well, I'm going to have to go with Juve here. Well, Tottenham actually is an attacking outfit are very, very difficult to stop right now. And uh, people can't quite figure it out. Like, look at that Southampton game as an example. They kept doing the same thing over and over again, and they just couldn't stop it because they were so effective at it. I'm going with Tottenham, I think. 
Oh, good. So it's back to me. Well, <laughs> there's a there's a discussion here now for four and five, right? Yeah, you're dropping Dortmund. Oh, we, I, mean, I would probably drop Dortmund out and have Juventus and Tottenham in here. And we haven't even talked about Milan, and that's no disrespect. I just think that potentially what outside of the kind of the, the front two there, yeah. the the rotation is limited a little bit. You know, the the options aren't massive. If one of Lukaku or Lotaro was to get a season-long injury, you'd be a bit worried. And that's not to take anything away from their partnership because they've been exceptional. I mean, you say that with, you say that about Kane as well. I mean, it's it's tough, isn't it? But you, you're you're kind of splitting hairs between these guys. Let's well, you let's put take, Gareth let's... Bale in there, right? And and you'd expect him to lead the line and hopefully take on that responsibility. I, I don't think Alexis Sanchez would have the same effect coming in for Inter. Okay, that's that. I think that's fair. Let's take let's take Inter out of the equation, and we're going to have to relegate Dortmund. I'm really sorry, Dortmund. Um, we'll okay. give you six. We'll give you sixth um, or seventh, depending on what happens. Uh, but then, I guess for me, I've just got to basically order Juve and Spurs. But at the very least, we finally come to a conclusion on on what our, our the start of our top five is. I'm going to take Juve in fourth, and I'm going to yeah. take Tottenham in fifth. So Spurs five, Juve four, and thank you, judges. Um, you can retire your gaffles. Uh, you can hand in that. your you can hand in your scorecards. You can take uh, it from here. I will take it from here. I have a top three that I am. Well, I was. I'm very confident in who the, the, the identities of the top three. I have flipped two and three quite a lot, so you can tell what kind of internal crisis I've had this week. Um, but Spurs five, Juve four, and into three it is Liverpool. Now oh. Mane and Firmino and Salah is is such an established trio. It's such a dangerous one. When we were talking about how to frame this, Dean said to me, "Like, think of how dangerous these guys feel. Like, that, that's ultimately the, the the key card here. Is 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 like, how scared are you coming up against these teams? And obviously, Mane, Firmino, and Salah is is absolutely terrifying. They're fluent. They're well orchestrated. They're so well versed in how each other moves and plays because they've been together for for three straight years." I think a bonus card here is that they're basically always available. Their fitness levels are incredible. Um, whether that's that's them naturally or they're just being managed well I don't know but like it's pretty rare that Liverpool can't call on this front three when they need to um coronavirus pandemic excluded I guess and the, the downfall may be Firmino for some people in this partnership but I'm a big appreciator of, of what he does I think Mane is the best of the three he's unbelievable maybe where this this attack falls down compared to our top two is the fact that your reserve pair or your reserve trio is Jota, Minamino, Origi right um, and that is not as terrifying. Well, it's not anywhere near as terrifying, is it? Now, that doesn't matter as much, I don't think, because these the front three are just always there. So I haven't held it against them too much. But in comparison with our top two, I have had to call them out on it a little bit, and I've placed them in third, despite the fact that, the, again, the, the established dynamic that these three have is just, you can't ignore it. It's just so good. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I know, I know what you're saying. I, I actually really, 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 really rate Diego Jota. I think that Diego Jota has the has the potential to be a genuine elite level player, at, at, and I think that he will go on to do that at Liverpool. And I think it's easy to forget how young he is because he's been kicking around for Wolves for ages. Everyone just kind of assumed he was 27, 28. You know, the kid's not. He's really not. He's got so many years to grow. And given that, I think that there is strength in depth now. And actually, when people when he signed Jota for that amount of money, I think there were so many people who were a bit like, I'm not sure what's going on here. You know, why, why have they done this? And actually, what they've done is brought in a, someone who does elevate this attack. And I think that he showed in the game for Portugal in the, in the Nations League, and I don't know how many of you watched it, where he grabbed a brace and an assist. It was just absolutely world class. And, you know, in the absence of Cristiano Ronaldo that game, that front three of, of Jota, João Felix and Bernardo Silva were fluid. They were, they were beautiful to watch. And it really did highlight for me just how good a player he is. And I think that that in itself has already elevated this Liverpool attack. And, and already, and then we haven't even, I haven't even mentioned there, because you've done the, the, you know, the groundwork, about the, the front three and, and what they're capable of. He does elevate it um, in terms of an attacking trio and bringing something new into the dimension that they have. But is it, I'd argue it's actually not as good as what Juventus have got in terms of options. Um, it's only because of the how strong the top three is that they are actually going in above Juventus for me. I think that Ronaldo, Dybala, Kulisevsky, Chiesa, Morata is actually a stronger selection of attacking options than what Liverpool have got. But Mane, Firmino and Salah on their own 
are stronger than pretty much anyone else has. So that, that I think that's why you balance it out and they end up third. Yeah, it's it's a tricky one because, yeah, like you say, on their own, they are they are world. And also they have pedigree and experience in terms of we've seen them dominate mm. for two years now. This Juventus attack on paper looks beautiful. Um, but we have seen, especially even with some of these players and, and some of the players that were there before and, you know, your Ronaldo, Dybala link up that we have praised already. You know, they didn't score loads of goals last year. And, and part of that was the system they were playing under. And part of that was the way that things worked out for Juventus. But this Liverpool team has, you know, genuine pedigree in the real world, aside from just looking beautiful on paper. Salah on his own is absolutely ridiculous at the moment. Like even, even if he's not doing that much, he's scoring these goals, he's, the ball's falling to him. And in a split second, He's just smashing him in. It's happened a couple of times this season. Obviously, the Everton one is the most recent example. But like the way he finished that was just so instinctive. And there are just so few players in the world that could score that goal in, in that moment. That that's why Liverpool have become you know European champions and then Premier League champions. And why, even with Van Dijk in, they'll still believe that they can win the league because they have these these game changers. Salah's like, it's so confusing to me to watch Salah play football sometimes. And it's the, it's been the case for the last three years. So you saw how many times he cut in on his left side and had what looked like a fairly comfortable in-step shot against Everton and he just rolled it to the keeper. Yeah. Like two or three times in a row, he did it straight down the throat, straight down the throat, P-roller. He does do that sometimes. He catches the ball wrong, not good contact mm. on the ball. And then the ball drops to him and he pulls off this outrageous, like outrageous technical volley you know, I, I really, he really confuses me sometimes, but you're right. He's been incredible this, this to start this season. The volley against Everton was incredible. The second goal he scored against Villa as well from the tight angle near post. Yeah. It was like, he had a, a basically a football sized bit of goal to get it into. And he hits that mark. It's like going to the fairground and shooting the ducks. It's incredible. Like his accuracy. <laughs> I don't know how he fits it into these windows sometimes. And then, you know, his next shot will be terrible. Yeah. Well, that's the, uh, that's the mark of someone who who can do it at the top level. Yeah. Eh? They just can can find that angle when you need him most. Um, and and he's been doing so for quite a while. Sam, that leaves us on to top two. Who are you going for? Yeah, so first draft of this list had Liverpool at two, but I decided to drop them to number three and put PSG in at second place, uh, which is, of course, you know, Neymar and Bappe and probably Di Maria is the strongest three. And you look at the bench, you've got 60 million man Akadi, you've got Moise Keane, who's joined on loan. Drax is not great, but Sarabi is pretty good. I mean, again, this is probably, there's an element here of um, how much depth do you, do you really have? I think as a striker, if you had to rely on Akadi, you'd be okay. I think anything beyond that, Sarabi is a role player. Drax is probably not good enough, but strength of this, strength of this front three. Like, I mean... <laughs> Neymar and Mbappe, I think, are two of the world's best five players. And if you have two of the world's five best players in your attacking lineup, you are going to rank pretty highly in this ranking, aren't you? That's just that's just basics. Neymar is returned to his godlike form, I would say, over the course of 2020. He's managed to stay relatively injury-free. He's shown the maturity and the balls to lead a team as well as become their sort of technician and talisman i think he's, he's he's actually developed that ability to lead and set by example and not shrink which is important and i mean we've heard enough about mbappe this podcast so dean's already taken care of that one but i've taken psg at two again bring it back down to that fear factor how scared are you of these three running at you very very scared they would have been top but they sold their best attacker to bayern um this summer so so r.i.p king chupo um, so that's that's probably what's changed the final outcome of this. Definitely. I assume, Sam. definitely, yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, no, you're absolutely right. It is the, the the depth options here are beautiful, and you look at this side now and you think, yeah, and and actually, quite a lot of the PSG's issues have been in balancing that right and just allowing this front three to just go and explode uh, and become what what they were always promised to be. And and I think Akadi being in here and being part of this unit is actually such a such a game changer in that you can just bring on a striker and it, you know it is kind of reminiscent of you bring back an, an Edison Cavani basically you know someone who you give the ball in the box and he's going to score it just is you know an ice cold finisher and and I think that's for ages what PSG might have been missing and I think what they were missing towards the end of the Champions League campaign last year and when they brought on Chuba Moting ahead of Acardi in the Champions League final Sam you and I were going absolutely berserk um to, you know to try and be like well, well hang on you've got one of the world's best finishers on the bench and you've 
not brought him on. And, and I think that this year, getting that balance right and making sure that Akadi feels part of this unit and part of this side and, and is able to be there and being a gunman when he's called for, then I think this this is perfect. I think this does elevate the men and should elevate them even higher. Yeah, I mean, Akadi was definitely part of this team up until about, well... Well, lockdown. I, I I cannot tell you what happened, but he was obviously clearly part of this team and and a first choice striker. And then whatever happened during that break, and they came back for the Champions League, and the, the confidence in Icardi clearly had just dissipated. Well, he was the, desperate in the game against Atalanta, wasn't he? Yeah, but he was basically playing right wing because of the of the system they ended up playing. Like he was obviously completely ineffectual, but it was because Neymar was given a totally free role and ended up in his spot the whole time. He was benched the next game. And yeah, the final, it's not like PSG didn't create the chances, is it? It's that they missed them all. So what about the guy that literally only finishes chances and does nothing else? How about you bring him on? But look, that's, that's, a, that's an argument we had two months ago. That's something I got annoyed about back in July or whatever it was. Um, so we'll leave that here. But PSG, legit, number two. All right. And I assume that leaves uh, the only team, the team that beat them in the final last year. It does, yeah. I mean, sorry for being boring, but it's really hard to escape this, isn't it? Champions League champions, treble winners, best team in the world. And of course, they're, they're the best team in the world, in my opinion, as a result of the fact that they are, well, devastating in attack. And what have they done? They've, they've gone and they've done and conquered Europe all of last season. And then they added Leroy Sané to their ranks. That doesn't sound fair, does it? But And, and Chupo. Sorry, and Chupo, yeah. I'm not Thank giving you. enough credit, but it's good that you're here to do that. Um, Lewandowski, best number nine in the world for me. Serge Gnabry emerging as a elite class winger. Leroy Sané, incredible and is only going to elevate them. Thomas Muller back to his absolute best last season and has started this season superbly as well. I think he's got seven combined goals and assists already. Like, he's just not slowing down. He and Hansi Flick, they just work together. Kingsley Coman, obviously the actual the actual hero in the Champions League final, is part of this rotation as well. They brought back Douglas Costa, who is okay, but like as a fifth Ooh. choice winger, that's pretty damn good. I was going to say, a, I think that's a bit harsh. I like Douglas Costa a lot. He's okay. He's okay. I don't think you don't want to be in a situation where you're relying on Douglas Costa if you're trying to be the best team in the world. But to have him as part of that rotation it, it, it is is amazing. And this basically boils down everything we've been talking about. It, how strong is your front your front three or four? Well, this is incredible. And how strong are your reserve options? And and what is your ability to change tact and basically alternate your tactics? And buy and have it all because they have Sané, Lewandowski, Gnabry and Muller are all world-class players. And then Komen is kind of like very, very good. And Costas are slightly below. So they've got four amazing players, one brilliant player and one excellent player and Chupo Moting. So as, 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 a, as, a, as, a, as a position group, this is unrivaled in my opinion. And I guess it helps when they win the Champions League and prove that they can, they can cut it. But I don't think there's anywhere to go but Bayern for number one. Yeah, I mean, them winning a quintuple doesn't really, you know, it doesn't it doesn't do anything to harm their case, does it? It's just like one of those things where you just look at it and you be like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> good haul, lads, good haul, um, yeah. and and then got stronger. Yeah, it, it's very difficult to argue. I'd love to argue with you, but I just can't really. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Dino, any any complaints? No, not at all. I mean, um, you know, the one time they've really shuffled around a bit, they they lost we lost to Hoffenheim four one, didn't they, this season and. Xerxes was actually leading the line that day, a player that we've talked about before and could be his breakthrough, but hasn't really followed through in terms of where you, you know, how far you think he could push things. But away from that, you know, buy and score, typically you're backing him to score at least three goals a game, basically, yeah. <laughs> normally. Um, there's not really any other club in Europe you can actually depend on scoring. That and it's, it's just been unbelievable to watch them over the past eight months, nine months, and how they've just developed this mentality of we will win today. It's just a case of how many you buy. And of course, they've got the best attack in, in the world. There's absolutely no doubt about it. Okay, Sam. So that's your ranking. Five Spurs, four Juventus, three Liverpool, two PSG, and one Bayern, right? Well, well yes and no. Um, I'm going to present a wild card. Well, this is new. Yeah, oh, twist, yeah. Twist. I'm, good. I'm going to present a wild card option. There is one team that we have not mentioned throughout this process, and we have brought up 10 different sides. We haven't talked about Manchester City at all, and I'm going to present them as the wild card. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to bring you back into action again, boys. I want you to take oh. to your stations, shuffle your scorecards, and grab your gaffles because Sterling, Aguero, and Mares is a hell of a front three. 
And yep, they've lost Sané this summer. And the reason I haven't really put them in so far is because I'm not sure how I feel about them. Aguero is is getting injured and injured. Gabi Jesus is, is currently injured, but has never quite latched onto the role. They've got an amazing assortment of players, but right now we, we can't say for sure exactly where they stand. And I wanted your help in in trying to figure out where these guys would would sit in this ranking. I mean, let's start. They're not, they're not overtaking Bayern. They're not overtaking PSG. They're not overtaking Liverpool. But into the four and five range, is there a case that you can present to me that City should be in over Juventus or Tottenham in fourth or fifth? What do you think? I would probably say yes. Um, I think, again, you know, back to what I talked about a little bit with Liverpool, you know, this City attack has proved their pedigree. You know, they're not here on... You know, they're here on merit. They're not here on just like looking fancy. They, they they should be in this based on what they are. And I agree with you. And I understand your reticence to put them in, given how weird this season has started for them and, and, and how the whole thing is kind of shifted out and how Pep keeps messing with the formation. And I'm not necessarily saying that in a bad way, but it's quite difficult to kind of comprehend what City's attack is at times. Um, and I think if you look at the capitulation at Leicester, the draw with Leeds, and yes, there was no chances created. It wasn't the it wasn't those kind of games where an elite attack doesn't perform like that. I don't think you know you don't get those kind of weird situations. However, I think that they probably have enough credit in the bank to take them in here, definitely above Tottenham, but potentially above Juventus as well. I would I would I would argue that there might be a a point to put them fourth here. I think that the options here, even even losing Leroy Sane. In Sterling, uh, Ferran Torres, Aguero, Jesus, Bernardo, Mares, Kevin De Bruyne pulling strings behind them is very much part of this attack. Yeah, them seven on their own, I think, justify their their own inclusion. I would have them at fourth, mate. What do you yeah. reckon, Dean? Yeah, I think to be honest, if if they just had replaced Leroy Sané to had that like absolute nailed on replacement in a front three then I think they would overtake Liverpool, to be honest, because of the depth that they've got. But because all you can get, like Sterling and Aguero nailed on every week, but there's always that third position that could be pretty much anyone of, of four or five. So that's why they can't compare to Liverpool's like nailed on front three. But it's that depth that's, that Jack talks about that kind of elevates them above Juve and above Spurs because being able to call on Foden now, being able to call on Ferran, like once he gets up and running, like he's going to be a really, really good addition. Um, Mares, look, we know I don't love Mares, and, uh, you know, he frustrates to me a lot with his decision-making, but there's no doubt in that he's a world-class player and he's made, he's been great for them. Um, Gabby Jesus, like, he's a great footballer. It's just they haven't found the exact role to fit him. And I think that what really takes them up a level is is when De Bruyne plays as an attacking midfielder rather than in a deeper role. Um, to be honest, even when he is in a deeper role, he's starting the attack a lot of the time. But when there's been signs that he might play more of a 10 this season, um, and if they do really look to push De Bruyne up there, then of course they're at least the fourth best attack in, in Europe. Probably that's even being harsh on them. If you, if you were to have De Bruyne just in an advanced position, sitting behind Aguero, Sterling and one of the others, you're scared. You're very, very scared about what might happen over the next 90 minutes. <laughs> okay, okay, so where are they going? Are they going into fourth place? I think they are. I think Probably, they push Juventus yeah. down to five. And that says that means goodbye Tottenham. Yeah, Spurs, oh, Spurs still have a lot to prove. So Spursy, so it's, Spursy. It's yeah, they've they've pulled a top five <laughs> finish. Right? Another lead. They played again. Lead. I mean, spare a thought for Dortmund here, guys. They, about half an hour ago, they were fifth. They're now about fifteenth. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they're seventh. They're in a championship now. now. They're literally in a race for the Europa League, depending on where someone if they someone else wins the FA Cup or not. Um, <laughs> so that's that. Right, we've got one more thing for you, but we'll be back after. Fair play and fair value. It's what playing at William Hill is all about. William Hill. It's who you play with. Gamble responsibly. Break. Welcome back to Ranks FC. And things have changed slightly for those of you who have been us a long while. <laughs> The gibberish alarm. It's time for Sam Dyer's gibberish. <laughs> oh, rebranded, rebadged. 
you absolute well. fools. But it's still a top three. It's still a ranking. It's the gibberish rankings. Let's, uh, let's kick off a new era. Um, I have jotted down my top three. I'm calling them big adult moves, okay? Because I'm an adult now, 30. Mm. And uh, I've made some really big, what I feel like are adult moves. So I'd like to share some of them with you. Um, there is a distinction uh, to make. It's obviously there are obvious things like buying a house. That's clearly a big adult move, um, but it's obvious. And I've decided to go with some slightly more day-to-day or simple things that really showcase my my growth and my progression into eventual adulthood. So in at number three, I have brought one, brought one of those really, really tall second freezers. It arrived. <laughs> it arrived a couple of weeks ago. It's almost as tall as me. It's about six foot six foot one maybe or something like that we, we've measured up i am taller don't worry uh we popped it under the stairs uh in, in in the cupboard in the kitchen and it's perfect use for it and it has just given us so much more flexibility with the weekly shop because we can buy so many things and freeze them like loaves of bread the whole first uh thing is just loaves of bread that you can you can have so we can prepare for second quarantine and brexit simultaneously with loads of frozen meats loads of bread loads of as of like like pan au chocolats, it's just, it's incredible. There's a there's a whole there's a whole drawer dedicated to ice, and there's a whole drawer dedicated to chips, and then there's a whole drawer dedicated to ice cream. So I don't need to mess I this around. This was adult with... rankings. <laughs> <laughs> You've just bought a freezer so you can buy more kids' food. And that's not and that's not me judging you because I'm completely here for it, and I'm upset that you haven't got a drawer for frozen pizza, but you know, I don't think you can put this in your adult rankings. <laughs> the contents of the freezer may not be that adult, but the move to to compartmentalize and to plan your life and your food yeah. shops in this in this order. This is this is this is forward thinking stuff. This is a big adult yeah. move. It's a good it's a good building block for when you've got like kids in like however many years time and they want all this crap. So it's a good move when they want ice and um, chips. Yes, ice, well, exactly. It's all ready for them in it. Absolutely. Okay, number two, um, I have realized now that I've started paying for it, as opposed to when I was a kid, not when I was stealing. Um, now that I started paying for orange juice, how expensive it is. And it's quite, it's quite alarming, actually, to be honest with you. Uh, if it's not on offer, you know, your Tropicana's and things like that, then it's actually, it's actually pretty bad. And I feel really bad for drinking it like water as a kid when my parents used to buy it and must have almost driven them bankrupt. So as an adult, having figured out exactly how much these things cost, I've started drinking half a glass of orange juice. That's half a pint rather than half a small glass. Um, because I just can't believe how expensive it is and how quickly I have to replenish it and how much that costs me if I just drink a pint You're of orange juice. You're drinking pints of orange juice. You're drinking more than half a pint of orange juice at any given time in the past. I can drink a pint of orange juice, no problem. A, a pint no of wonder your teeth have fallen out. You just um, about the sugar levels. Yeah, no, it's lad. Listen, this great. is really interesting. And I'll tell you why orange juice is worth the money. The other day, Dylan found in the, in the kitchen drawer, like one of those orange squeezers, like the one you do manually. Okay, so you stick the, you cut the orange in half and you stick one yeah. half in and you squeeze it and, it and it comes out. Well, I thought, oh, we can actually make an orange juice here. Do you know how many oranges and how long that actually take? <laughs> it's ridiculous, isn't it? <laughs> squeeze two oranges and it was like barely a sip of orange. <laughs> And it's got it was quite bit. nice. I literally had the set. I was like, that was really nice, but I'm not going to spend another 15 minutes squeezing oranges. Especially so, if you need to get a pint. Mate, that's probably 400 oranges. <laughs> <laughs> no wonder it costs so much. <laughs> yeah, it's all, exactly. starting, it's all starting to make sense. Anyway, I've, yeah. I've gone down to half a glass, half a pint. Well done. Um, well done. But my number one big adult move, and no one can take this away from me, no one can claim it's not an adult move, is that I, we, Rachel and I, have a herb garden. Yeah. Oh. Now this Have is a, a herb flex. Uh, this isn't even an adult move. This is a flex. Yeah. Like that is a it's big status. flex. I'm, it's bo- I'm here for this though. Here it's both. It's both. Young, so, ba- a young Basil over here. So partic- particularly during uh, particularly during quarantine, obviously, like when you weren't allowed out, it was like right. What should we? You're stuck in your house. You're working from home. Uh, what should we have for lunch? Well, it's going to have to be a sandwich again. How do you really brighten that process up after a month? You do it by going out into your herb garden and picking your own rocket or your own spinach that you have grown from a seed. That is a rewarding lunch. And it tastes better. It tastes better than anything you can buy in the supermarket. And then uh, what I do is I cover the entire sandwich in hot sauce and not taste any of it. It was perfect. But I've grown my own spinach and rocket. I've got parsley. I've got mint, rosemary, thyme, basil. And we've now we've branched out 
<laughs> pun intended. We've got lemon trees, pear trees. We've got a series of tomato plants, and we've got strawberry plants. Picture like, garden. What? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's 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 most of the garden. <laughs> well, let's but, post uh, a picture of this, Sam. I want this yeah, up on your I'm Insta gonna, ASAP. Yeah, you can just need to see this. The yeah, you can, need to you see. can absolutely hey, see. You no should problem. also grow some chilies, and then you can make your own hot sauce. Of course, that's really good. You know what else like? you should grow? Oranges. <laughs> no, it's not cost effective. We've established this. But what I would say is that this isn't just a big adult move. This is a mega adult move. This is an MAM. A MAM. Yeah. yeah, this is a MAM. Nice. That's mad. Yeah. yeah, fantastic. I mean, good good ranking. Mm. Um, I, I mean, I appreciate that what we've learned from this is that you still eat exclusively frozen food and have <laughs> still drink pints of orange juice <laughs> so so uh, i don't know if we've actually gained any adult thing but i do like the fact that you've got about two million herbs in your garden so yeah, i'm going to be coming around soon to eat all your basil oh, yeah. um, <laughs> I and i can't wait you're invited is basil one of your top three herbs basil is my top herb oh top herb but that's a that's a ranking for another day um, okay. that's, that's someone else's gibberish rankings for uh, for another day. So we'll uh, we'll come back to herbs, uh, herbs and spices. There was some gibberish in there, to be fair. There was, that was, <laughs> that was, to be fair, good gibberish. Um, and that is pretty much all from us. So all that's left for me to do is to say thank you very much to Mr. Sam Tai. Cheers, buddy. Thank you very much to Mr. Dean Jones. Uh, see you on Patreon on Friday, mate. Cheers. Yeah, absolutely. I've been Jack Collins. We will see your patrons on Friday for the Friday Spotlight, where we'll be looking at some games and some players to watch over the weekend. Uh, and we'll see the rest of you next Wednesday, uh, where we're back with another rankings. Uh, thank you for joining us. If this is your first time, we hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, please do make sure you share the pod with your friends. And also uh, give us a rating and a review on iTunes or wherever it keeps your podcast stores, because it really, really does help us to, to grow and keep growing. Shouts out to everyone who got us top in the US charts last week. That was a, that was a big flex for us. Uh, we love you, Rank Squad, and we'll see you very shortly. Ranks FC out. Peace. Fair play and fair value. It's what playing at William Hill is all about. William Hill. It's who you play with. Gamble responsibly. 